what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. I'm Chris, your co-host. And we're here to talk to you about movies. Yes. Films. Theatrical experiences. However you <laughs> wish to refer to it. We've actually got a really big shoe tonight. Chris? Yes. Really, really big. Actually, the motto for tonight's show is you go big or you go home. Go home. We have four, three to four, somewhere in that neighborhood, movie reviews to go through. We're going to talk about the latest Disney slash George Clooney opus, Tomorrowland. We've got the latest Al Pacino film, uh, Danny Collins. And we have the road warrior himself, Mr. Mad Max, Fury Road. Then I might squeeze in a little bit of a quick review about the latest Melissa McCarthy action, adventure, comedy, spy. All that capping off with our recommendations for the month, or I guess for the episode. And so hopefully a film you can find online or something we think y'all check out. Can so, we do it in under three hours? So we uh, think we're going to try because, you know, we're recording this late at night. Yes, it's true. I got to admit, I'm a little sleepy, <laughs> but I've got my coffee. Had my, I'm good. I've had my intake for the day. I'm ready to go. So if I go off on a tirade, I just, may see you not off. Yeah, just okay. if, if you don't hear me respond for a while, <laughs> just assume that I've probably uh, nodded off asleep. Okay. Now we got a lot to cover. Big show. So stay tuned. Let's get started here with Foot Candle Films. Where'd you get this? Who are you, kid? What you saw was a place where the best and the brightest people of the world came together to actually change it. We've been looking for someone like you for a very long time. Why? Did something happen over there? Something bad? Of all the people, why me? He thinks you can fix the future. Tomorrowland, Chris. Writer, director Brad Bird takes us on an adventure. Let me just kind of give you a quick little synopsis to remind you of the film since, okay. you know, make sure you know what, which one we're talking about. Yes. Bound by a shared destiny, a teen bursting with scientific curiosity, played by Brett, Brett Robinson, and a former boy genius inventor, who is now the fully grown George Clooney, embark on a mission to unearth the secrets of a place somewhere in time and space that exist in their collective memory. Brad Bird, as I said, you know, is the director. He helped write the screenplay, which he also wrote with David Damon uh, Lindelof. He of Lost Fame and some other uh, uh, stuff in the past. I think I can't remember if, uh, some of the other things he was involved with, but I know Lost was kind of the big one that he was involved um, with as a writer. Hello, Prometheus. All right, Prometheus. That's right. We'll come circle back around. <laughs> that, that may that may weave into my review a little bit. Okay. Let me just go ahead and put it out there. Brad Bird, up to. Me walking into the theater to see Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, Brad Bird, do no wrong. Okay. Let's list off some of his cinematic achievements. It. Please do. So he, Brad Bird gave us The Incredibles. He gave us The Iron Giant. Yes, check he, and check. He gave us Ratatouille. Uh, which I've only he, seen part of Ratatouille, but I like what I see. So, And he gave us uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Which was not a great Mission Impossible, but it was a better than average Action spy franchise movie. 
Okay. And I okay. think that's, is that it? Is that all? It done? might be about it. And I'll say the iron giant and especially the Incredibles, two of my all time favorite movies. The Incredibles is actually somewhere bouncing around my top 10, top 15 films of all time. So Brad bird, I'm on board with, he actually, uh, think he, didn't he have a little bit of involvement with the Simpsons for a little bit? He either wrote an I, episode I or two. I think he did. Yeah. yeah. He's just a good guy. Seems like a pretty <laughs> He's sharp a good, good guy. guy. <laughs> so I'm very excited about Tomorrowland. It's a Disney film based on a theme park side of things. Of course, I got a little nervous about the whole Pirates of the Caribbean thing years ago. As did I. It turned out to actually be a, a, a decent film. You liked it actually a lot better than even I did. I liked, yeah. I the liked, first one. I was actually the first two I was yeah, kind of You were on board with. with. Yeah. So here we go. They're kind of repeating the formula a little, little bit. Let's get a big name star in. Let's brand it around part of our theme park. And let's see what we can turn it into. So with all that being said, Chris, me with a lot of enthusiasm and excitement going in, interested in the premise, interested in the concept, loving the writer directors. Please help me understand why I really just did not like this movie. Well, and am I crazy for not liking it? Are you crazy? This this movie actually, I think it could be a tough one to criticize in a way. No, I can find ways to criticize it. (laughs) um, I think, the movie is all about dreaming and yeah. believing in the future and kind of being an op- and being an optimist, not kind mm-hmm. of being an optimist, but oh, no. being an optimist. Yes. And if so, therefore it's kind of, you know, it's not critic proof, but it sets itself up. If you're critical of this idea, then you are responsible for negativity. You are kind of feeding into the negativity they talk about in the film. Yes. That's hurting our society. Right that now. is holding our society back. Right. So I admire that idea that instead of seeing problems, see the acknowledge the problem, but think about the solution and think about the challenge and all, as opposed to just dwelling in the problem mm-hmm. and being overcome by it. Right. And that's this movie. I think the problem is you went into this movie. It's PG. Mm-hmm. It's a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. It looks like an adventure movie. It's not. No. It is a heavy movie about how. You know, it, we live in kind of a frustrating society. There's a lot of mm-hmm. negativity. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like world disasters and all this kind. Of, and it's basically kind of a downer. Now, mm-hmm. the good thing is things take turns, events, and everything. It's a Disney movie. Things end up being okay. Right. But I think for it being such a message movie, it's really kind of done in a heavy-handed way, and it kind of hits somebody that just wants to have a good, fun, you know, summer movie kind of the wrong way. So I doubt going into this movie, you were expecting it to be, air quotes here, because you can't see, this is audio podcast, a message movie. And it definitely was. I kind of had a sense it was going to be a message movie. I kind of picked up on that just from the the, the stuff I'd read about the film. And I'm fine with that. Actually, I'll tell you, this film had me for the first 20 minutes. Hmm. I really liked the lead up to seeing Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. I like the whole bit with the pen, the kind of touch the pen you see, then you let go. They did a lot of cool visuals, tricks right. with that going on. That was really great. I was really getting built up pretty well. Then we get to Tomorrowland and the whole montage of them visiting tomorrow or her visiting Tomorrowland for the first time was great. I loved every second of it. Cause I love that kind of that 1950s, 60s vibe of sci-fi in the future and kind of, just this, it was nice to see a vision of the future or a vision of something that resembled the future that was happy and smart and smart people thinking of smart things, you know? Mm-hmm. But from that, that moment until the very end of the film was just, 
it was just a long chase point a to point b to point c and it just felt like it just dragged and it just sucked all the energy out of the film mm-hmm. that didn't come back until the last few minutes slightly redeeming at the end but not enough to say that the whole film was good for me to enjoy so i love the promise of it i love the 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 the, the conceit i didn't mind the preaching i actually kind of wanted to be preached to i wanted to be pumped up and feeling positive coming out of this and it's just it could have done so much more if it knew how to manage that entire middle section that just was way too long and took way too long to get to the critical plot points we need to get to. That's, I, that's why I kind of came. I, I think you and I are on the same page with it. I, I also enjoyed the beginning, um, and I'll get back to why in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed the beginning. And once um, – the character's name, which let's hold on just a second, Casey. Yeah, Casey, played by Britt Robinson. Which she's actually a Charlotte, North Carolina. She was born she in is. Charlotte, North and Carolina. And she's also like in her mid 20s, but so, she plays 16 right. pretty well. So. so she, and this is one of her first big roles, I yes. think. So mm-hmm. that was kind of cool that she's from North Carolina. But, um, and we are actually in North Carolina as well. The mesh is located. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But, um, her first time that you were alluding to where she gets to go to Tomorrowland, she sees kind of how everything's set up and then she's thrown back into present day. Yeah. Up until that point, I, I liked everything, but then I was frustrated just like the characters were frustrated. They spent the entire rest of the movie trying to get to Tomorrowland yes. and it got old. It well, just, it just it got, became a chase thing. It, it got, and yeah. it kind of uninteresting because I expect more than just a chase scene because right. it's just, and after, unlike, I think a little bit unlike you, once they finally got to Tomorrowland, by that point, I was just kind of tired. Well, I was and let kind down. Of, yeah, I was kind of let down. But I will say, even though I got kind of irritated at the message of the movie, but or not had the heavy handedness, I did admire, like I said, the, the premise of it about yeah. trying to encourage people to look for solutions. And I think. Just think about, sort of Chris, so. the ending montage. Think ah, about, montages. Well, but think about how much more effective that would have been. If we had really had that rousing buildup and a great ending to the storyline at Tomorrowland, and then it to go to that closing montage, which is really the PSA portion of the movie. Yeah. I mean, and it was heavy handed. Yeah. But I think it would have earned it so much more if we had, if, if the audience had gotten inspired by that point, too. But at that point, I think everybody's bored yeah. and everybody's restless and everybody's yeah. kind of worn down. So when you get to this raw, raw, let's really get you pumped up in a positive energy ending, it's just kind of fell flat because the energy's out of the room at that point. Um, I think that's the thing is I loved the little coda ending at it. It's just it, it hadn't earned it by that point. It needed to be at the end of a really rousing story. And. I kind of equate it a little bit. You remember uh, we talked about the Da Vinci Code bu- movie like a long time ago. Sure. You and I have in passing. I think we've mentioned it in, on a podcast at some point. Ron Howard doing the book, the uh, mm-hmm. adapting the Dan Brown book. And how disappointed I was in that movie because it just felt like the entire movie was a, okay, we're at point A. Now we have to go to point B. And once we get to point B, we get another clue. We get to point B. Now we get to point C. And right. oh, there's people chasing us. We have to right. keep ahead of them. That's how I felt this entire like almost two thirds of the movie felt like to me after we got that opening section that I liked. And this is an over two hour movie. Yeah. So it just dragged on and never got to anywhere interesting. And it just kind of kept repeating this whole idea of we just still don't exactly know what's going on. We're trying to get to Tomorrowland, but we don't really know what we're going to do when we get there. And it's just, it just dragged on and on. So that was my biggest frustration. Such a great potential for a film, such a great potential for a story that just 
didn't know what to do with it in the and middle I of think, the story. Yeah, I don't, I don't put it the fault at Brad Bird's feet. I think direction was actually fine. I think it is the script, even though it hurts me to say because I really am on team Damon Lindelof. Mm-hmm. And I, Brad Bird, I think, helped with the script, but I think, you know, it's... It's still pretty much Lindelof. Like, that's that that's it, where yeah. it fell apart. I think the acting... I, 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 like, I like George Clooney anyway. Yeah. I thought he was good. Sure. He, um, he played George Clooney. I mean... Yeah. But I mean, he's good. He plays George Clooney really, really good. <laughs> I, he does. And I, like I mentioned, I thought Britt Robertson did it really well. And somebody who plays an interesting part, mm-hmm. uh, Raffi Cassidy. She plays a young girl. Athena. Athena, yes. Yeah. Um, she plays Athena. I thought the three of them were, oh, they were good. really good. They were a good team. And that's the thing that was so frustrating about it is I enjoyed their rapport. Mm-hmm. I just wish they were in different, more interesting situations sure. together. So it just got really old watching them run from place to place and then cover a new clue to new clue. And it just, when we finally got to the end of this, how rewarding would it have been to have these three interesting characters who have great dynamic together to have a, just a really interesting end of the story. And I'll, I'll say this too, you know, trying to, trying to push out all the positives because that's what this movie is all about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, about. Sure. Uh, I thought the movie, the Tomorrowland sequences looked really great too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, the CGI and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, the robots and all that stuff, the vision of the future in the film, that was all yep. really good. I'll say too, the chase scenes, you know, like you're saying, they got kind of old. There is a sequence at the Eiffel Tower and mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. And, they have kind of a reveal of maybe why the Eiffel Tower was there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a very Damon Lindelhoff kind of lost type thing. Yes. But I really liked that. And actually mm-hmm. there's a, they went to a kind of a museum mm-hmm. room that I guess maybe is in the Eiffel Tower. I've not been privileged enough to go there. So I don't know if this really exists, but they have kind of like wax figures of people sitting there. Like it was their idea to do this. Right. And then they kind of had like a little bit of Da Vinci code kind of conspiracy mm-hmm. theory as to why. So I liked a lot of that. I wish from the time um, Casey came back from Tomorrowland up until then, there had been all these other kind of like Da Vinci Code, like revelations well, and kind of like been. cool things that have happened that you could have like more to it rather well, than see, just a I big been, chase. I, I would have been happier if from when Casey came back from Tomorrowland the first time. Okay. She – go ahead and speed up the process of her getting to the George Clooney character. I see. Okay. Sure. Meet George Clooney. They're being hunted down by these people and they have to escape. But then they go through this whole nother process of escaping from his house to get to Paris. Yeah. Then when they finally get to Paris, then it's a whole nother little process of getting to Tomorrowland. It's just, there's ways creatively in a screenplay you can shorten that all up. Sure. There's a way to get from George Clooney's house to Paris. (laughs) I'm sure with science fiction and with everything this movie's about, there's a way to get there quickly in the film. And still used Eiffel Tower and the whole mystery side of things to get sure. there. They should have just – I wanted more time in Tomorrowland at the end. And I think the, the story deserved it mm-hmm. because to build up and build up and build up and then you get there and it's nowhere near visually like it was the first time we saw it for plot purposes. But, you know. right. but then we get there and I feel like our time there is so quick and abbreviated we don't experience anything around it. Even to the point, Chris, did you notice that when we arrived back at Tomorrowland late in the film, we don't see anybody else. Okay. Yeah. Now, at the very end of the movie, the last couple of moments happen. You all of a sudden people see people around. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, there's just, I understand they're trying to show us that Tomorrowland's not vibrant anymore like it was. Right. But it just, they turn it into a ghost town when I don't think it was meant to be. I think it just, it was very complex there at the end how that sure. ending cobbled together. So 
there was a great movie in here somewhere <laughs> taking these good elements, taking these good characters. There's a really good movie there. And it just, I guess that's why it pains me more than anything because I see the good movie there. I would have rather have been a really bad movie from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it just had that great potential on both ends and it just couldn't stitch it together in a great way. Well, here's a question I have for you and it relates to Brad Bird and someone else we've talked about previously on the show. Um, Andrew Stanton. Yes. Uh, Andrew Stanton was successful with Disney and Pixar. He made uh, Finding Nemo. Yes, he did. Then uh, he made a film called John Carter. Mm-hmm. And, but he's coming out with Finding Dory in 2016. Yeah. Okay, Brad Bird. He made The Incredibles. He made some of that. Now he's made Tomorrowland. Next thing he's doing is returning back to Incredibles 2. Yeah. Um, do you think these directors just maybe they're animation guys? And maybe, but granted, you know, he did do the Mission Impossible movie, or do you think they're just better suited? Well, I definitely think they're better animation. suited for animation. I think Brad Bird is the kind of guy, I mean, just, you know, I know I'm basing off of really two films that I really love, but he just, he gets the style, he gets the, the idea of taking animation and conveying emotion with it. And so, I don't want to say he has a little bit of a George Lucas thing going on where George Lucas couldn't deal with real actors, want everything hmm. to be CGI. Brad Bird's not that way. I mean, right. I think there's a lot more emotion in Tomorrowland and act better acting than any of the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> okay. But something about animation seems to like be able to release a little more of that emotion into the film that I think he's used to doing. No, I'm not, I'm not saying this is like, I don't ever want to see a live action Brad Bird film again. Gotcha. You know, I'm just saying there was a good movie here. There are enough visually interesting moments and enough interesting story bits that I can at least say the film might be worth watching. It was just a very big disappointment to know how it could have turned out. Right. How much greater it could have been if just some parts of the story were, were handled a little better. Well, and I going into the movie, too, I, I'm, I think you and I are lockstep on this. I appreciated kind of the mystery that was around the yeah. film, the way they teased things out. And it was very lost and that they really didn't really tell you a lot and all this kind of stuff. And then, but the bad thing was because I knew Damon Lindelhoff, Lindelhoff was involved and Brad Bird, I got, and George Clooney, who I really like, I kind of got my hopes really built up and then I saw yeah. it and I was kind of like, Oh yeah. man, kind of like you. So going back, I didn't even mention this. I mean, how great was the whole opening sequence with George Clooney's character as a young boy? Oh, Let's to me, circle, I loved circle, every bit of let's that. Let's circle back to that. Okay. Okay, so we've kind of talked about the review, and I mentioned that I really liked the opening part yeah. when George Clooney was a little boy. Mm-hmm. Disney, I know the movie wasn't really as successful as you wanted it to be, but here's how you salvage everything. Take that idea and turn It's a Small World into a portal to Tomorrowland and connect yeah. that at the theme park really and cool, turn something it? really cool. Because that whole, I was like... Man, that would be amazing if, like, they actually mm-hmm. basically the little boy starts going on It's a Small World, which was kind of a cool reference to Disney. Oh, yeah. And then that's how he is transported to Tomorrowland. If he's wearing a certain pin, if he's wearing a certain the scanner pin. on the ride sees the pin and then sends him on a sends different path. him shoot on a different path to go. Yeah. I, that whole, like, amazing idea, I was like, wow. I was thinking, like, that would be such I'll a tell cool you, ride. That whole opening <laughs> sequence at that point, I'm so with the film. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm with it up till Casey visits Tomorrowland and we see the whole montage of what Tomorrowland looks like. I'm with it every step sure. of the way. That's what was so frustrating to go through that next hour or so of just plotting. Yeah. Plot and uh, no excitement, no energy to it at all. So, all right. Well, that's Tomorrowland. I mean, neither one of us are wholeheartedly recommending it, 
but we're not saying you shouldn't see it either. It's got enough worthwhile, I think, to check it out. But maybe instead of paying 10 bucks at the big multiplex, maybe wait for it to come on Netflix or something yeah. and watch it. Or maybe even rent it on iTunes for a couple bucks. Probably sure. worth it for that, right? All right. Yeah. Okay. I think Good. So. All right. So let's move on to our next film, which is the latest film from Al Pacino. A little smaller film. Uh, don't want to say indie film, but it definitely went on a smaller circuit release-wise from a theater standpoint. And the film is Danny Collins. Do you remember doing an interview when you were a kid, Chime Magazine? You write like Lennon, man. John Lennon read it, and he wrote you a letter in 1971. Can you believe it? Dear Danny Collins, stay true to yourself. Stay true to your music. My phone number is below. We can discuss this. I'm a joke. I haven't written a song in 30 years. You're having a breakdown. I'm broken. Ain't nothing left to break. What would have happened if I got that letter when I was supposed to? I want to cancel the rest of the tour. With Danny Collins, we have Al Pacino. He's in the, the main part as an aging rock star who's decided... He's going to turn his life around when he discovers or he's given a letter that was written to him by John Lennon. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of has a kind of a midlife crisis or late midlife crisis kind of makes him want to turn his life around. Right. And in this film, we have Annette Bening, Jennifer Garner, Bobby Cannavale, Christopher Plummer. So pretty big cast. Alan, I was reminded when I was actually watching this movie of anecdotes that i've heard about al pacino Mm -hmm. okay um because i think when we talk about this movie you can't escape trying to couch it in how was al pacino he's made some good films he's Mm -hmm. made some not so good films he's definitely someone that he's not in his heyday anymore and his films are very hit or miss these days the fact that there's been some films recently the last few years i didn't even hear of that i didn't know he was in so yeah he's definitely more of the bellwether on how this film's gonna gonna play so I'm just going to – we're that's where we're going to kick this conversation off. Okay. Is when Al Pacino decided to make this film, do you feel like – how do you think the film hinged a lot on his performance or do you think it was just an interesting story? How, how, do, you, how do you couch this film? Do you think it weighed heavily on it was going to be successful because of Mr. Pacino or not? Well, first off, unfortunately, this film's not – successful in the sense of you know nobody's seeing it i don't know anybody who's seen this film we got fortunate and showed it at our film fest our film society right just a few minutes ago actually you and i both came out of a screening of it i think this movie had two good things i think it has several good things working for it okay. i do think al pacino was really good in this movie okay i have not been on the al pacino bandwagon for a while um <laughs> I got a little tired of his, his uh, the scent of a woman kind of the mm-hmm. the big hoo-ha you know al pacino for a while I really missed the Al Pacino of the 70s and early 80s. Okay. This one, he he had a role, and the role called for a little bit of the, the charm and a little bit of the, the kookiness, but it also required a lot of heart and a lot of tenderness and a lot of introspective moments. And I think he played those off really, really well. He does play this aging rock star who gets this letter, and, you know, it's a, it's a life-changing thing. I mean, you know, you think you've gone through your whole life and you've kind of become this Vegas show guy, you know, performing show tunes, which we come to find out is, is basically he's, he's singing other people's music, mm-hmm. songs that they've just given him, and he just got made a living of being famous for singing those songs. And uh, to kind of think back 40 years, what if I had gotten this letter from John Lennon that basically gave him his phone number and said, call me. We can talk. We can talk. I mean, how crazy is that to think 
I can't imagine too many more extreme what if situations to think that it's far a pretty back big in your life, if. and to think how it could have changed your entire career with one letter if you had gotten it when you're supposed to. Right. So I really liked the story too. I thought the story was really good. Which um, the story was based loosely, based loosely on, on a true, a true story. Event. Yeah. yeah. So overall, I thought this film really worked. I uh, it it could have gone deep into Schmaltzville, and it didn't. As right. much as it could have. There's a couple moments I've, I've got some issues with. But um, I was overall actually really surprised with how much I enjoyed this film and connected with it really well. So the fact that I saw it last night and I was going to not watch it tonight for our second screening and found myself kind of getting sucked in and wanting to see it again. <laughs> it's a two-timer for me. I saw it twice in a row and still enjoyed it the second time too. So what, what did you think? I, I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I thought I would probably like it. I'm a big John Lennon fan. I'm a Beatles right. fan. And so and they wove in his, his, his solo music like all the way through all the, the way film. Through so, yeah. Which I liked. Maybe sometimes they did a little too much. Maybe there was one too many maybe because it – Felt a little, you know. Okay, I get it. Was it was a little like on the John. nose a few times. They said, "Oh, we got to play this song, this song because the lyrics say this." And right. That's what just happened in the movie. Yeah. And you could kind of, you know, I guess being a fan, I could kind of tell that was like going to yeah. happen. But um, that being said, you know, the course of the movie is kind of predictable. But what made that okay was the fact I really liked Al Pacino's performance because I haven't seen him be as low key. Mm-hmm. Um, but still give a strong, it wasn't a weak performance. It was a strong performance, but just not having to shout. It wasn't a loud well, Pacino but, but you know, the funny thing I haven't was, seen I mean, that in so many years. The, the moments in the film where his character was the loud, entertaining, dancing monkey. <laughs> exactly. It was because that's what, the what everybody wanted. expected him to be. Yep. And the moments when nobody's watching were, I think, the better acting for him. It's like the quieter moments. He had a talk. He has a talk at one point with his manager, played by Christopher Plummer, which yeah. is really interesting to have Christopher Plummer. This, you know, has just been around in films for so many years, and he's playing the agent and best friend of Al Pacino, which is an interesting pairing. Yeah, they have a, a bar conversation when they kind of reconnect after Al Pacino has been presented. The, after Danny Collins has gotten the note, mm-hmm. he sees this letter. He's given to it by a friend, his his manager. And just they have this bar conversation about what's going on right now. And to me, it was it was spot on. It was like it was exactly how I'd expect two old friends to talk. Yeah. And Al Pacino, it was very low key. He just said, listen, I got to change some stuff. This stuff's going to might infect you financially. And I'm sorry, but here's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's just it was a very natural conversation. And I don't think I'd seen such a low-key natural conversation from Al Pacino in quite a while. I, I agree. And I think he was surrounded as, you know, I rattled off those names, but the cast around him, I think all just did a really mm-hmm. good job. Too. Bobby, Bobby Cannavale. I, I'm, I've not seen that many things he's in. He played Danny Collins's son in this film, a strange son. They haven't been around seeing right. each other ever. They've never right. met. Not only does he look like he could be the son of Al Pacino. And he was also in, uh, Two other movies we talked about on the show, Win Win, a long oh, that's time ago. Right. Yeah, he was the and he friend. was in Chef. Oh, that's right. He was one of the other cooks there. Yeah. Um, he was really, really good in this. And I think uh, okay. you made a comment during the discussion after the film about how he, he really held his own one on one with Pacino in a really key scene. Uh, yeah. And it was good. It was very, it was tough to watch. It was well acted. It was, it was a good scene. And uh, I was really. Overall, I got to say, I'm impressed with this film. I, I didn't expect it to be as enjoyable as I, as, as I found it to be. 
there are a couple of really good scenes, really scenes that really stood out for me. I think the ending, yes, the ending was very pulling at the heartstrings, but I think it worked. I tell you what, yeah, and I'm not going to ruin anything. Mm-hmm. I think the movie could have been perfect, okay, if there's a big event happening and it all hinges on somebody entering a room, mm-hmm. okay. And the father and son are talking, and they're making a comment about what they think is going to happen when this person enters the room. Right. I think the movie would have been amazing if the person would have entered the room, and then it would have cut to black. Well, I knew you were going to kind of say I that. I know. I always say they, stuff they like that. They give one extra piece of dialogue. And I line. wish they would have just had, because it was a, a supportive scene, and they didn't have to. No, they, I'm happy with didn't. the way it ended, because I, I needed it to end on a very positive note. <laughs> um, and more than anything, the reason I like the ending, the reason I'm okay with hearing that last line of dialogue, the expression Al Pacino gives when that line is uttered. Mm. And the motion he does with his hand, I've seen it twice now, so I pay okay. a lot more attention to it. So you can pay it. attention to he it. He already has his, hand, his arm around his son, mm-hmm. and he does this, like, squeeze of the arm, almost like a, just a, yeah. You know, right. like, right. that made it for me. That, at that point, I'm like, I'm sold. So hmm. That was a perfect way to end the film. I loved it. Um, and I like the fact that it, it didn't, the film didn't end with some big celebratory concert or some big stage performance that you kind of felt like it might go towards. You kind of felt like it was going to go to this thing where he's going to be building back up. He, he has a moment in the film, kind of a weakness moment where he doesn't play a new song that he's trying to write. And I have a real issue with that segment of the film. I thought that got <laughs> way too overwritten and it was just yeah. way too contrived. It was a, a fall that needed to happen. You got to have the character fall. You can't just have him keep rising through the film. And the fall was just so illogically written I think overwritten overwritten and it it. just way too contrived that certain people show up at exactly the moment they need to to make him just go down the spiral I didn't buy that whole 10 minutes of the film I was really kind of frustrated with it but once it got past that it was good again it got it got fine so I like the way it ended that it ended with him dealing with his family which is really the bigger issue than whether or not he plays this new song you almost get the sense in a way that he's perfectly fine going back out on tour playing the, 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 the crappy songs that he didn't want to really sing anymore only because he knows by doing that, he can be making enough money to support to take the care family. of people. Yeah. That is the message I got from it at the end. And I was totally fine with that. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it had a lot of sentimentality to it and I think it balanced the right, struck the right balance and not tugging too hard to just be exploitive. You know, it was, it was pretty natural, pretty authentic. What, uh, did you, I, I was wondering if you caught, I caught it and I thought that made a lot of sense. Did you catch who wrote the song that in the movie, Danny Collins supposedly writes, but did you catch who wrote it was the Ryan original? Adams? Yeah. Ryan original. Adams and Don was, was the producer on it. Which right. I thought was and so the original yeah. song that he came up with, mm-hmm. cause Ryan Adams, like it, you know, it was like, yeah, cause that was a good song. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I did see that. I thought that was good too. So yeah, I'm, it was a nice surprise. Yeah. I expected this to be a movie. Uh, it would be a fine movie, decent movie for us to show at our film society. I actually really enjoyed the film. I like mu- movies about musicians in general, you know, gotcha. whether it's a documentary or whether it's a real narrative film. I love movies about musicians that are done well. This one, I will say not as much about the music as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. You know, which was them. okay. I was fine with that. It, it, it really focused more on family dynamics than it did 
the performance life and the life of a musician or and all that. Plus, man, you got somebody playing a young Al Pacino that it was a dead ringer. It was it was a young Al Pacino. I was really wondering if they had CGI involved at one point, yeah. but this guy, I don't, I didn't catch his name in the credits. He's only in the film for two or three minutes, but. Man, he was a young Al Pacino. Yeah. So. I, I'll, I'll say a, a strength of the film for me, too, is a lot of times we talk about films that are based on a true story, and we wish they would have just made a documentary about it because yeah. we get frustrated. This film kind of, in a tongue-in-cheek kind of manner, they threw up a title at the mm-hmm. very beginning and said, based on a true story, like, and it was, it was like, kind of, this more is or less. kind or, of based on a true story a little bit. A little bit, yeah. you know, kind of like making a joke of like, yeah, there's some truth here, but you know, it's a movie, have fun mm-hmm. with it. And that allowed me to kind of relax and enjoy it more than I might have otherwise. Yeah, so good. I like that touch. Cool. So, and then they actually had a little bit in the credits of apparently an interview that was done with the real life gentleman who this, the, Tale actually there really happened. was a true musician that was interviewed back in the 70s. Uh, John Lennon read the interview, wrote him a handwritten letter. It never got to this musician. And this musician turned out kind of opposite from how the Danny Collins true. movie was in that he didn't become famous and nobody knew who he was. But he kind of wonders back after getting that letter 30 some years later. What had happened if what would have happened in my life if I had called John Lennon right. and got to sit down and <laughs> hang out with him for a while? Yeah. So, again, it's that whole what if thing. It made for a good story. Al Pacino played a really good part, and you had a lot of good supporting actors around him. All of that mixed together made for a really good movie. And honestly, I never would have thought about Al Pacino playing like a singer or an aging rocker or whatever. Yeah. But after seeing this movie, I really can't think of anyone that I would have rather seen do it. Like uh-huh. I really thought he was just – he was perfect. Yeah, so. he really – He, I agree with you. I think it was the best thing I've seen him do in quite a long time. Yeah. Um, quite a long time. Good. So we're both, you know what? The two films we brought for our film society in the last couple months, neither you or I were very enthusiastic about them, <laughs> but we've actually turned out to really like both of those films. The Holmesman last month. True. And Danny Collins. So we're, we're doing True. okay. We are yeah. doing okay. All right. So that is our second film, Danny Collins. We're both giving it a positive review here saying, yes, you ought to check it out. I think it comes out on DVD or uh, on iTunes pretty soon after this recording. So you might have a chance to check it out a lot quicker. It did not get a very wide release at all. I don't, I don't know anywhere it played around us. So we kind of stumbled across it and I'm glad we did. Director John Fogelman, I may mention first time director. He has written some films uh, and produced some films, but this is the first time he's actually gotten behind the camera as a director. So not bad. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on to our third review, uh, which is the throwback to the 80s and a throwback to me watching The Road Warrior or Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in the movie theater probably five <laughs> times during the summer it came out, back in the mid-80s. We're having a little throwback session You to just that. needed another hero. I another needed another home. hero. I needed another way home is what I needed. <laughs> this is our review of Mad Max Fury Road. As the world fell. Each of us, in our own way, was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy. Me. Or everyone else. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. Chris, was the world really clamoring for another Mad Max movie? Well, 
I cannot speak for the world, mm-hmm. but I can speak for me. And the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, hey, I, I was the first fact, to admit. I was the first. Oh, go ahead. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. when they released this trailer, mm-hmm. people that I respect, I like, started saying like, oh, and they were like, yeah, Fury Road. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Why do you care? Mm-hmm. I mean, the trailer was, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, but big deal. You know, it's, right. it's just a dumb action movie. We've had three of these movies before. They haven't been made. Like, I could not have been less interested. I was probably a little more interested than you, only because, you know, I, I in my formative movie-going years, <laughs> when my parents would, it was okay at that time to drop off your kid and their friends at the movie theater at a seven o'clock Friday night and let us go to the movie on our own and walk up the street to the pizza parlor afterwards and pick us up at 11 or 1130 at night. That's back when the days when you could do that with your kids that weren't old enough to drive. Right. It, this was one of those movies, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, the one with Tina Turner, Tina Turner, that was saying the song that we referenced. That was the version <laughs> of the film that I saw in the movie theater several times because it just happened to be during a few weeks time that I was going to the movies and there was really nothing else on. So I'll go see Mad Max again. <laughs> so I'll just go see that again. <laughs> so I saw Beyond Thunderdome really four or five times in the movie theater. I remember that summer. I liked it. I didn't love it. It's not one of my favorite films. I don't look back on it and say that was just a masterpiece film. But I did like it. I liked the style. I liked, I liked just the environment that it created. Um, I think I saw The Road was it, Warrior. Was it a, so it wasn't R then. It was PG-3. No, I think it was R. I it, believe was. it was. Okay. Well, no, you're right. It may have been PG-13. They may have bumped it down. Because know, I know Fury Road is yeah. R. You're R. right. It may have been a PG-13. I don't recall. Okay. Or else I snuck into a rated R each of the times. <laughs> um, so here we have Mad Max Fury Road. We have a new person playing Max. We have uh, you know, Mr. Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. Bane, you may know him from The, the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, what else was he? He was in Inception. I think yes. he has a supporting role in that. I never saw Bronson, but I understand he was really good in that. He's in Bronson. Um, he's in a movie called Locke, which oh came yeah, out, which yeah. I haven't seen either. So he's he's got a lot of good parts. To, you know, he plays Max, uh, the Mad Max in the title. We also have Charlize Theron playing uh, Imperio Furioso, 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 and Nicholas Holt. What I didn't even realize he was in this film as Nux, one of the uh, who is Nicholas Holt? He um. Oh gosh! Do you I remember, know who he is in the film. You know, He's in like the, the new X Men movies, okay, uh, he, Days of Future Past and the um, First Class. He is the Beast. Oh, yeah, that's okay. him. Didn't even recognize him in the film because he's covered with makeup and yeah, and, uh, yeah. Huh. So okay. that's your key players in the film here, and you basically have a film that goes on for a couple hours, a lot of cars, a <laughs> lot of driving, a lot of forward momentum moving, little CGI. Mostly live action stunts and action. Chris, a little bit of a throwback movie. Had yeah. a lot of vibes where it kind of made me start feeling like I'm in the 80s a little bit more. Did the film work for you with all those factors thrown in? The fact that you had no interest in seeing right. this film I didn't. until then. I had absolutely no interest. Um, the film did work, and I liked it quite a bit. Um, the throwback to the 80s part, though, I would say, you know, basically the movie is nothing but one. See, we talked about Tomorrowland. That was a movie that was like a big chase scene, and we got, you know, we got, we were weary. It got beleaguered. It we weary, just and it just didn't really, yeah, it just was not engaging at all. Okay, take Mad Max Fury Road. It starts off basically on a chase of someone driving across a desert, 
and the chase just builds and builds and builds and builds. And that's maintained throughout the entire film. And it was interesting and it worked. Am I surprised that I like the movie? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it has to do with appreciating the fact that there wasn't a lot of CGI. There was not. And that stuff was like practical. Maybe it felt like, I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. there's the scene that is in the trailer that has this giant sandstorm with some machines whipping around. Okay. Yeah. But in general, that's a very small part of the film. Compared to other big budget action movies these days, the CGI usage is so minimal. And that was a small part of the film, that little instance that maybe the fact that I felt like it was real, maybe that had, and it's also one of the best looking action movies Mm -hmm. from like, we talked about American sniper, how there was a sequence in there where there was a sandstorm and how it was like kind of the cinematography was really cool. And it was like, they were painting with the sand similar in this, just the, the wide vistas of like, you know, the deserts that they were crossing mm. and everything. It was just, it looked really, really cool yeah. and really good. And I think unlike a lot of action movies, like the ones we always trash on things like transformers where there's all this big action, you can't really tell what's going on. I always felt like, and maybe it's because this guy, I don't know if he did. Did he do all the other oh, yeah. three? George movies? Miller did all okay. the other three. Mad maybe Max it's just because he really knows how to shoot a desert mm-hmm. movie, but I, you know, you, I always felt like I knew what was going on. Yep. It was never confusing. Stuff was staged And of really all the well. movies that could be confusing, this movie should have been absolutely crazy confusing. It should have been really confusing for me. But it wasn't. I maybe saw a little bit of Thunderdome. Yeah. I've never saw the first well, two movies. you don't know any of the other movies. They don't care. You don't have it's like to. All these cars kind of look the same. They do. A lot of the characters look the same. Yeah. It's constant movement of cars, constant movement of people and activity. But yet you did always know what was going on. Somehow and they, they managed to get you to follow it. And they don't, yeah, they don't explain how they got here, why there are the different sides. They just, they just don't bother. Well, but somehow it works. One thing I really admired about this film, too, you did not have to know anything about any of the other Mad Max films. Yeah. You didn't have to know anything about Max himself. Nope. You jump right into this movie. The first few minutes were a little disorienting for me. I was trying to get my head around what, what was starting to happen and where things were going. But once I got past those first few minutes, man, I'm on for the ride, and it was fun the whole time. Um, <laughs> I just loved the the craziness of the film. They were not afraid to just be weird. Yeah. You know, for a big budget action movie these days, too many times people are playing it safe. And this is a movie that's just like, we don't care. Yeah. Yeah, There's going to be a guy that's just jamming out on a, on a, on a guitar the whole time on the truck for no reason. Okay. Just to be there. You know, that was the one point actually. Okay. So that's, that's a crazy thing. Mm -hmm. Guy jamming out on a guitar. That's a flamethrower. Yeah. It's a flamethrowing guitar on top of a truck the whole time they're going to the desert. That almost lost me. Really? That was the point where I was kind of like, okay, okay, let's, let's tell what was believable up until this point though. Mm -hmm. There are women that are being enslaved and basically all they are is they're used like cows for their breast milk. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Then there's the whole, um, it's a post-apocalyptic world and water is very tightly controlled. And there's this dude called um, a Morton Joe. Yep. And he's basically like this skeletal figure. But then they put all this like body armor on him. And then he releases the water to the people. And that's why they like fall down and worship him. Okay. Then on top of that, you have the whole uh, Nicholas Holt character who plays Nux mm-hmm. in the movie. And there's this thing where they use people as like blood bad like you mm-hmm. tether a slave to you that's yes. what max is being tethered to nux i believe right <laughs> yeah. and he's his 
blood donor guy so that he can go out and fight and you just have like a extra a, blood laying around a cable ready to go. laying yeah. to this guy like mm-hmm. hanging out all this like random stuff all that <laughs> somehow kind of made sense i was okay it, it was like meshing in this world but i have to admit when they're like having these big action scenes and all of a sudden there's just this guy wailing on a guitar on this thing moving through the desert and like shooting flames i was like okay no so I, I got it, it didn't, i, I mean it. it was i guess it was the whole movie is kind of about excess i guess in a mm-hmm. way and that was just like okay this is a random bit of excess except it. i thought it was a little goofy it came yeah, off to me as being goofy. a little goofy it was a little goofy but it's still I, the movie i just i admired really the film for, for just letting it all out there <laughs> oh, you know it, definitely did. it just let it all out there and the fact that they got charlie's theron to be in this film. Well, we need to talk about really her. good. We need to talk about her. I thought she was really good. I, I forgot it was her most of the time. Mm. Uh, I thought she had a really, really great character and a lot of, not many words in this movie. No, not a whole not lot, a lot of, of explanation about no. what's going on at all either. No, um, but you know what? You didn't need it. It was, that was the great thing about it. And that's, I really think the minimal use of CGI and the more practical real effects really made this movie stand apart. Because I could have seen this being a heavy CGI spectacle thing, and it would have been mind-numbing. Yeah. But something about when you see the guys going through the air on these kind of pole vault-looking things, and you know that most of the time you're seeing them, that's really somebody doing that. (laughs) Something about that just is is an energy we've lost in a lot of action films the last Uh, 20 years. I can see that. It was really fun to see. Yeah, I, I have to say, too, something that took me by surprise was, you know, the movie is called Mad Max. OK. <laughs> yeah, I know where you're so going with this. So you're figuring, you know, it basically is about, you know, and that role used to be played by Mel Gibson. Um, and so you're figuring, you know, Tom Hardy stepping in a role. He's a big actor, kind of still up and coming and you know making a name for himself. This is going to be like his franchise for the next three years. They're kind yeah. of rebooting it. They're restarting it. It wasn't really a Mad Max movie. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, it was it was much more the um, Furiosa character, yeah. Charlize Theron. It was much more her movie. It was like he was basically kind of a sidekick to her. Yep. And that really took me by surprise. And like her whole mission and her goals and what ends up, you know, happening to her. She's going on a journey, basically running away from this uh, – Immortan Joe <laughs> character. She's running away from him for a reason, and then she reaches a destination. And then what happens when she reaches there? All very interesting. And Max kind of is just along for the ride. Yeah, to help I out. Did not expect. Which he has one moment at that point when they get to the end of one journey, and then they decide to go to a different direction. Right. Where he's kind of the one that advises, says, "I think we ought to do this." Right. That's basically the only steering of the story he does. After everything else, you like you said, he's the sidekick. And yeah. I, I thought it was cool. I, I did too. I was really surprised by that. Yeah. But yeah, it was cool. She was really good. Um, I, I really liked her part in this. I think she did a great job with it. There's a particular scene I got to call out on this that was probably my favorite scene of the film. Okay. Uh, you know, during the daytime, everything's awash in orange and red hues. But at nighttime, it's this bright blue or dusk, I guess. It's mm. just everything is washed in blue. And there's a scene where they're trying to get the truck that they're driving out of the mud mm. and the, the, the enemies are approaching and it's just this tension built up and it was just so well edited and timed. And I think that the, the color hue going on, it was just really exciting. And it's just, I can't remember really being that excited in an action sequence in a movie mm. in quite a while, but it's just, it built up the right amount of tension and it just really edited it well. I was really impressed with that. That was that whole scene at night where they're trying to get 
unstuck you know, where they are before the the marauders all come to to get them. Uh, it just it just worked. Uh, I can't remember being really that enthralled by a scene in an action movie in a while. So, summing it up, neither one of us was excited to see this movie. Not, not really. But both of us have come out liking it. Really liking it. Now, would you be interested in seeing another Mad Max movie? If George Miller's directing it, yes. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Now, I don't even care who's playing Mad Max. <laughs> I don't care if the movie decides to follow the Furiosa character next time. Fine by me. If it's the same energy, the same practical, the constant forward movement of the cars and just the activity following along with that, and it's in the same world, I'm ready. Bring it on. Hmm. Absolutely. Cool. I'm with the band on the TV, features regional music acts discussing their craft and live performances. Subscribe to I'm with the band on the TV and swim around in the heads of your favorite regional musicians. Three down. We do have a mini review, possibly of a fourth. Alan, you did make it to a screening of Spy. I did. So cue the trailer. When I quit teaching and joined the CIA, I thought I was going to be this amazing spy, and I'm still just the same boring person I was. You play it too safe. I just hear my mom's voice. Just blend in, let somebody else win. Making a wave isn't always brave. Brilliant. Give up on your dreams, Susan. Just to write that in my lunchbox. We've intercepted chatter that Rayana Boyanov knows where that nuke is. She knows the identity of all our agents. We need someone to find the bomb without being detected, but it can't be any of you. Need someone invisible. I'll do it. So yes, I uh, Chris. It was my birthday this past weekend, and was it a good one? Well, it was because I got to do exactly what I like to do. <laughs> I took my family to the movies. Excellent. Unfortunately, we saw Tomorrowland. I came out a little <laughs> bummed out of that one, but you know what? I decided to see if I could milk my movie going dollar as much as possible, and I decided to stick around and see a few more. Excellent. Did I buy tickets? Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to catch me on record saying that I did. Uh, but I ended up seeing uh, Spy as well. Okay. Now, Spy is Melissa, Melissa McCarthy. You've also got Jude Law. You've got Jason Statham. And you've got Rose Byrne. Okay. And uh, it's being pitched by the same guy who did Bridesmaids and also had her in The Heat, which I never saw The Heat. Not good. Yeah, I know. I've heard you not say favorable <laughs> things about it. Bridesmaids was good. Bridesmaids was funny. Yeah. So this is Paul Feig who directed and wrote those films and also is the director and writer of this one. He is also the one who is going to be crafting the the new Ghostbusters film. Right. Which is all females. Shocker. Melissa McCarthy is one of the Ghostbusters. Hmm. Along with Kristen Wiig and a couple others from SNL. So anyway, back to Spy. So this Spy movie is supposed to be a kind of a blend action comedy uh, Melissa McCarthy plays a CIA analyst who she's basically the voice in the Jude Law spy character's ear. Okay. She is the one who's watching the monitors. She's like, oh, you got a guy coming around the corner. Oh, you need to get to this boat on this dock. And oh, there's somebody coming behind you. That's her job. Gotcha. Well, well basically, Rose Byrne plays a evil villain in the film, which she does really well, by the way. She's, <laughs> she's okay. fun. Uh, somehow this villain uh, takes out Jude Law's character learns everything about who all the spies are on the field and promises to kill them if she sees any of them. So the CIA is kind of stuck. All their operatives have been identified. They need to send somebody out in the field and they don't have anybody to send. Oh, cute plot mechanisms there. Yeah. Melissa McCarthy goes out in the field. Now 
This could have been a just over the top, dumb physical comedy, which is what I expected it to be. Okay. And I will admit it is better than I expected it to be. But I've also read a lot of the reviews online where it's getting universal praise. Really glowing. It wasn't that good. Okay. Okay. It's a worth a rental. It's worth watching on Netflix. It had some very funny moments to it. But it pretty much goes in the direction you expect it to go. The plot's pretty predictable. Uh, The funniest moments, for better or for worse, are basically these characters spewing really obnoxious, crass, crude comments out of their mouth. Hmm. That's the the level of humor we're dealing with most of the time. is Melissa McCarthy doing it, though? She is, but actually she plays her character a lot more restrained. I actually liked her character now more than others. That could be a benefit for She plays a very smart... Uh, she's not this dim-witted, clumsy person. She's not confident out in the field as a spy. She's having to learn as she goes. And at one point, she has to put on a little bit of an identity, a fake identity to fool somebody. Okay. And she has to carry this for the film. And this fake identity is a very loud, obnoxious, commanding person. So she gets to play the typical Melissa oh, McCarthy role for okay. a little bit of the film. Okay. But the whole rest of the film, she is a very good, smart well-mannered person. Okay. So it's interesting to watch. And I did, again, I like it better than what I've seen Melissa McCarthy do in the last few years. Sure. Bridesmaids, the only exception where I did like her part, but it was also a smaller part, much more confined as a supporting role. Hmm. Um, So overall, I'll give this movie a pass and say it's a good movie. Okay. It had some funny moments and there wasn't anything too horrible in the film. But if you go on and look at Rotten Tomatoes and it's getting like in the 90% positives oh, yeah, and all high. that, mm. I, I don't get that. It's, okay. it's definitely not the best comedy of the year or anything. <laughs> okay. um, but, you know, it's it's not bad either. So it's worth checking out if you got the time. How does it make you feel about Ghostbusters? Um, probably a little more worried than I was going into it. Okay. Just because this movie was very plain and standard. There was no real visual style to it. There's mm. no, the comedy was just, again, mostly driven by expletives that seemed to be most, I mean, let's have these people say the most crude, ridiculously obnoxious things they can say. Mm. And that's not what I want from ghostbusters. So right. I'm hoping there's more to the ghostbusters film than just let's get four funny women together and have them just say really crude, obnoxious things. Yeah. And that's it. I don't want that. So, Spies giving me a little pause on that, Mister Mister Fag. You know, I I trust you. <laughs> Bridesmaids was pretty good. Yeah, you've got four funny actresses playing your Ghostbusters in the next film. Let's not screw this up. No, let's not. Let's not let this just kind of flow, however way you want it to. Let's really make this a good movie. So we'll see what happens. Okay, so that's Spy by uh, with uh, Melissa McCarthy. Okay, sounds good. So with that, we're done with our four reviews, ma'am. I know. That's, that's pretty amazing. I say you want to just skip news and we'll just get some Absolutely. recommendations. I think I'm ready to go on the nom- recommendations and then I'm going to bed. <laughs> so, Fair enough. So this is the part of the show where we like to talk about a recommendation of a film we think you ought to check out. Maybe one you've forgotten about. Maybe one uh, you never heard of. Or just uh, something that's come across our, our eyeballs in the recent uh, past that we want to bring up to your attention. So Chris, what have you got to share with us today? I'm going to recommend a movie that actually came out in 2015 but i think it was a little bit earlier maybe like january february or so um and it's called slow west and it stars uh, michael fassbender and ben mendelson and actually the reason i watched it was because you know we reviewed the homesman and mm-hmm. i really liked it and i was like oh you know it's kind of a 
a reinvention in a way of a Western because it focused more on the female perspective of a lot of things going on. And Slow West popped up in iTunes. I was like, oh, I've kind of heard of that a little bit. It actually played at River Run, but I didn't make it there to see it. Right. So I was like, okay, this is supposed to be kind of another twist kind of on a Western. And I watched it, and I really I really liked it. Um, the cinematography was excellent. Fassbender was really good. Hmm. Um, ben Mendelsohn plays kind of a menacing bad guy and does a really good job. Um, so... Uh, and it clocks in at it being only 84 minutes. Oh, so, that's, that's a Chris Fry so, seal of hey, approval right there. You know, so. um, I just, I, I, I really liked it. And it had, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just interesting. I'm not going to say any more about certain things about the plot. But basically, it's um, a guy who I'm not very familiar with, Cody Smith McPhee, has a right, fun name yes. to say. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays a young man who is traveling across America to find this girl that he's like fallen in love with. And he is struggling to kind of make his way across, you know, the wild, wild west. And Michael Fassbender plays an outlaw who kind of takes him on and says, like, okay, if you pay me some money, I'll help kind of shepherd you through and maybe get you to where you want to go. So it's kind of a, an interesting situation. I I really liked it. It's called Slow West, and it is available it's on, iTunes on iTunes and all that Amazon yep. that you can actually watch it now, right? Absolutely. Cool. Um, so my recommendation, I'll get to recommendation in a minute, but I got a little bit of a, a build up to it. Okay. Um, I was reading some movie news the other day and there's a, a new film coming out soon. I'm actually looking right now as I'm scanning to see when it's slated to come out. Um, that's called rock the Casbah. Is it about the clash? <laughs> no, actually. Well, I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, a down on his luck music manager discovers a teenage girl with an extraordinary voice while on a music tour in Afghanistan what? takes her to Kabul to compete on a popular television show. Huh. All right. So interesting yes. little synopsis. Here's the yeah. interesting notes about this film. Okay. Uh, the star is Bill Murray. What? Yep. Bill Murray. And he's, he carries the whole film from what I can tell. And the trailer is came it, out. Where's this movie coming out? Uh, comes out October of this year. Really? Yep. Uh, now here's where my recommendation comes to when I was reading about this film and I, I re- saw the poster, I haven't watched the trailer yet, but I plan to tonight. Okay. Uh, the director is Barry Levinson that started me getting on a flashback of Mr. Levinson's work back in the eighties, man, I was, I was a big fan of Barry Levinson films. The, uh, the natural came out. Yeah. That was 1984. I loved the natural. I've watched it since. Um, it doesn't hold up as well as uh, I remembered back then, but I still love it. All I remember is like the, the lights in the baseball oh, yeah. stadium, like exploding or whatever. It's a great <laughs> film. I don't appreciate it as much as I did back in the eighties and nineties when I was watching it a lot. Sure. But you had the natural, you had young Sherlock Holmes, which I really liked. You had 10 men, which was good. You had good morning Vietnam. You had rain man. Now you even like rain man. So all the, that whole string of five or six films there, man, he was knocking it out of the park in the eighties. And he started getting in the 90s. And do you remember the movie Toys with Robin Williams? I kind of like that movie. I kind of did too, but it, it was a, weird. It was weird, but it was a disaster. Box office oh, yeah, and everything yeah, else. Yeah. It was a huge, but huge disaster. But you know disaster. me, it's, it's kind of like if... It's kind of like David Lynch made that movie. Yeah, it was very but odd I, I like weird movies, so... Very but yeah, I, I do remember. And that was kind of a disaster. Um, yeah. Then it kind of started going all over the place. He did have a couple good films in the 90s. I think Wag the Dog was really good. Um one movie that he's done semi recently was he's the one who did was Levinson the one who did Flight? No, no, uh, that Zemeckis. was uh, Zemeckis. I'm about Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis okay. did yeah, Flight, yeah. different yeah. dude. No, this guy uh, Barry Levinson in the '90s did Sleepers, which I liked. Okay, he did Wag the Dog, which I liked. 
But beyond that, not a lot. Actually, there really hasn't been anything in a while. Hmm. So I'm a little worried about this Rock the Casbah because of his track history. Hep, okay, let me get to my recommendation. <laughs> my recommendation is the one film from the 80s that I did not mention. Actually, it came out in 1990, so it was just on the cusp of it. Okay. It's Avalon. Do you remember Avalon, or did you ever see Avalon? You do? No. Aiden but I've heard, Quinn. People, I've heard oh, yeah. people talk about this Avalon. This is a great movie. Okay. I'm actually so tempted. Something got me on the kick of wanting to revisit it again. I haven't seen it in a little while. Did you see it in the theater? Um, I did see it in the theater. Really? And I saw it on home video several times, too. Wow. Basically, it's a Polish-Jewish family that comes to the United States at the beginning of the 20th century. And you're basically just following this family as they're trying to make themselves kind of living the American dream. Right. And, and uh, it's kind of autobiographical, autobiograph, autobiographical Sorry, hmm. uh, about Barry Levinson. Uh, it's really? about his life. And um, I think that's what makes it kind of interesting to me is that I could see – the personal stories he kind of tied into it himself. Right. You huh. have Adian Quinn, you have Elizabeth Perkins. Um, it's one of those films where it's kind of a sprawling, like following a story and it may not have the biggest plot in the world, but it's just, you're watching different stages of this family as they're coming into America and they have their own children and they're growing. I just, it was a really great film. And I think now that I'm kind of trying to touch base with Barry Levinson's career again, that film just really came up to me as one that I, I think people ought to check out because it's not one that's normally rattled off in his filmography. So Yeah, I, I, I have heard of it, mm-hmm. but I've never seen it, and now I'm going to have to see if I can check it yeah, out. Yeah, I think you should check it out. I think it's a good movie. I, I liked it a lot. and uh, So that's our recommendations. Cool. So, Chris, we did a review of four films. We talked about Tomorrowland, which we both were disappointed with. Disappointed in. Wish. But- for a better potential that it could have had. Right. Uh, we both were really surprised by Danny Collins, how much we enjoyed that film. We both really liked Mac- Mad Max Fury Road. Which and, was surprising. Which was also surprising. <laughs> and Spy, I thought, was a serviceable, passable comedy action movie that made a little better use of Melissa McCarthy than what we've seen in the last few movies. Fair enough. And we had our recommendations, Avalon, and you had the recommendation... Slow West. Slow West. Um, both of them available to check out online and see or rent in some form or capacity. So with that, Chris, I believe our show is done for, uh, for this week. I believe so. Uh, be sure to, if you want to check out past episodes to go look us up on the mesh TV and click on foot candle films and you'll see our archive there as well as, um, you can also follow us on Letterboxd. Alan and I also, uh, post on there reviews or keep up with movies that we're watching on there and just so you know, we have mentioned it in the past, we are holding a film festival here in North Carolina, in Western North Carolina, Hickory to be exact, and that is September 25th through the 27th, mm-hmm. and I uh, will be giving out more information about that in the episodes to come, but if you're in the area and you're interested, we'll be giving out ticket information in the coming months. Absolutely. A lot of ways to connect with us, a lot of ways to follow what we're doing. You know, footcandle.org is kind of your master website. That's where yes. we see all the screenings. Plus, there's information on how to find out more about the festival we have planned, too. And, you know, hey, if you're going to be in Western North Carolina in late September, or, or you can be, and you want to come join us and visit us, we'd love to connect with you. Let us know. We'll, uh, we'll figure out a way to, to get connected with you when you're in town. So, Chris, let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up then. Uh, thanks a lot for everybody for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. 
For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.